What do you think is the difference between your um, playing of Bond and, and Roger Moore's playing? I'm not asking you to compare whether you think his is better or yours is better, but what, what's the difference? Oh, well, fundamental I don't think difference? it gets down to that. I think it's just a different appetite, that's all. Um, for example, I, I think that the, the fundamental difference is that I um, played Bond with uh, the reality, uh, credibility, and hopefully still encompassing stunts and effects and what have you, but, and out of it, some indigenous humour. And anything that happens is possible. And I feel that, um, and his is a sort of parody of the character, as it were, in that situation, so that you will go for the laugh or the humour at whatever the cost of the credibility or the reality. I think that's just basically the difference. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, often shaken but never stirred, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. That was some low-hanging fruit there, that joke. You have something better? I don't, but I mean, I think my job is more to critique than to actually provide any sort of content. Yeah, story of my life. (laughs) On today's episode, we're sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of 1964's Goldfinger, one of the first and one of the best James Bond movies starring Sean Connery. And Nakia, let's just get right into it this week. Okay. There was a moment a few months ago when I realized we were going to have to go back and watch some of the James Bond movies. Mm -hmm. And it was a moment in which you were trying to describe some actor to me, and you said, you know, the old Bond guy. (laughs) And the person you meant was Pierce Brosnan. To be fair, I was not saying that Pierce Brosnan was old. I was, what my meaning was, who was the the previous Bond, the older version of the Bond, but not trying to be ageist in any way, just saying that who was the old Bond. But but when you said that, my mind immediately leapt to Sean Connery, oh, no. Roger Moore, no. because Pierce Brosnan is, to me, the new Bond. No. He's one of the new Bonds. He doesn't even count as an old Bond <laughs> at this point. He does for me. It's like when I, w- so I went out a couple, uh, like last weekend with my friends and this chick was doing an open mic and she was like, I'm, I'm doing a cover of this band from the 80s called Blondie. So that's, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So it's just like, what the fuck? This band from the 80s called Blondie? As if no one in the room had heard <laughs> of Blondie. Like... She was like, we discovered this obscure band. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. So now you know how that feels. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this franchise a little bit. Okay. Uh... Ian Fleming created James Bond in 1953 with the first novel, Casino Royale. He wrote a total of 12 novels and two short story collections. And since then, it has just become this sort of unstoppable industry. Mm -hmm. Dozens of other novels have been written that are officially licensed by the estate. There have been comic books and radio dramas and video games and cartoons. And most importantly, there have been the movies. Uh, In 1961, American producer Albert Cubby Broccoli and his partner Harry Saltzman acquired the rights to this character. 
They created Eon Productions, who to date have produced 24 movies starring James Bond. And with the possible exception of Godzilla, it is the longest-running film franchise in movie history and one of the most successful. With a combined gross of nearly $7 billion to date, the Eon films constitute the fourth-highest-grossing film series of all time, behind Star Wars, Harry Potter, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. And yet, somehow, Nakia, I believe you have not seen 22 (laughs) of the 24 movies, and the only two you have seen were starring Daniel Craig. Yes. Uh, I think you saw... I know you saw Casino Royale. The dress and the necklace. <laughs> yes. Eva Green in the dress and the necklace. You had me at Eva Green. I mean, she was stunning. But yes. And Skyfall, I think, is the other one you saw. Right. With Javier Bardem. Right. Yes. So, how have you <laughs> just completely avoided the James Bond phenomenon? Well, I mean, isn't that the question of this project? Is How have I avoided anything? How did I avoid Godfather for how long I did um, I don't know. I never had any deep urge to see any of the Bond films. Um, it's not a genre that I would necessarily seek out. I think the only time I was even maybe mildly interested in seeing it was when Halle Berry was the Bond girl, because that was like a big <laughs> moment. Still didn't go see it, though. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. Um. So, yeah, and I don't even know what got me to see Casino Royale. It may have been that you were going to see it, and so we just went to see it. Maybe. I don't, because I don't know why I would have necessarily gone to see it, other than Daniel Craig looks fucking okay, great that's, in a suit. That was going to be my suggestion just, for why yeah, you saw those two movies. You know, I don't want to objectify him, but he looks amazing. <laughs> it's the combination of like that very sort of pugilistic face <laughs> in the suit. Like he, he looks like a blunt instrument in a suit. So, yeah, I don't, I really don't know what kind of even got me interested at that point. But yeah, I was just I never, think it was just Daniel Craig. It, was, it may have just been Daniel Craig in a suit. Um, in fact, I, I don't remember, I think it's Casino Royale that has the shot of Daniel Craig coming out of the water in his bathing suit. Possibly. That's playing on the Halle Berry first scene. It was, well, first it was Ursula Andress and Dr. No did that, and then Halle Berry did it. And then in that one, they just made him the eye candy. Mm. And I think that was probably the moment at which you were like, <laughs> The progressive yeah, choice. I'm, I'm going to yeah. see this movie. <laughs> Possible. So one, there was just really no deep interest in the genre in and of itself. But then the other piece of it was, from my understanding, was that Bond was sort of this fantasy of British imperialism. Um, so coming off the Cold War and decolonization and things like that, it was this sort of idealization of British power just sort of going all over the globe and quote-unquote writing wrongs. Uh, and so I just, that's not really something I'm going to subscribe to. So <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily want to turn that on and watch that, no matter yeah, I mean, I think I think we can talk about that more after we watch after we watch the movie. But that that is definitely part of the root of the James Bond legend. And you know, he Fleming was he he was from a wealthy family. His father had been killed in World War One. He himself was an actual naval intelligence agent in World War Two. He was very patriotic and. The British Empire was very important to Mm -hmm. him, and he started writing these novels at just about the exact moment that England was beginning to lose its control of the world. Right. You had, you know, Indian independence in 1947, and then the Suez Canal thing in the early 50s, and it was just, the empire was crumbling, and that bothered him. 
And you can see that in the novels, there's a certain bitterness about that going on, combined with this, yes, this fantasy in which British intelligence personified in James Bond is like responsible for the safety of the world that is still the most effective man and still a major player on the world Mm -hmm. stage. As William Cook said in The New Statesman, if Fleming was born when the British Empire was at its apex, Bond was born just as its power began to wane. Bond pandered to Britain's inflated and increasingly insecure self-image, flattering us with the fantasy that Britannia could still punch above her weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't uh, that doesn't interest you, is that, what you're saying. No, that does not. I don't, <laughs> I don't uh, yeah, that sort of, you know, empire hagiography sort of thing. I'm just not very much so into it. And again, and maybe I am if the guy's hot enough. Maybe that's what I've now learned. Um. <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk about that. Okay. Um, so you, you know, we'll come back to all the politics and what James Bond symbolizes and all of that after we watch the movie. But let's let's talk about hot dudes. Okay. So you have a Daniel Craig thing. I do have a Daniel Craig thing. Okay. In a suit, it's a very it's a very specific Daniel Craig. I like Daniel Craig in a suit. But yes. <laughs> And I do think that this is a franchise that lives or dies with its leading man. You either buy it or you don't. You either get the appeal or you don't. You have uh, Connery did seven movies. Roger Moore did seven movies. In between, you have George Lazenby, who was one and done. And I, he, it's actually a really good movie. It's one of the better of the early movies, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but he just does not have the charisma. Mm. He doesn't have the sex appeal. He just doesn't feel like Bond. Right. Um, I think that was also true of Timothy Dalton, who did two movies in the late 80s, although he has his defenders, and I actually think he was, before Daniel Craig, I think he was the only person who actually tried to do something interesting with Mm -hmm. the role and make it a real character, but he wasn't as much fun, and I don't think he had the same appeal. Right. So what is it about Daniel Craig that works for you? I don't know. I think part of it is I like people to look like to look like they make sense in that role. Daniel Craig looks like he's gotten the shit kicked out of him for years and he's tired, but he still looks good. But mm-hmm. there's a character to his face where I believe that your job is fighting. Okay. Whereas Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan, I didn't even know the other two that you mentioned. Well, okay. Don't lump those two together. Lump Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan yeah. together? They're both sort of quote unquote like pretty in that I mean, I way. would say that about Pierce Brosnan. I would not say that about See, Connery. See, I would say that about Connery. Like, he doesn't, to me, look, he's a fighter. He doesn't look like a fighter to me. Okay. Um, and neither does Brosnan. So I think that's part of it. It's just like, they just, it's it's too, like, together. It's too clean versus Daniel Craig. Okay, so obviously we needed to watch an early James Bond movie. Goldfinger was pretty much the clear choice. Uh, it's the third movie. Mm-hmm. But it is, every pop culture website in the world has at one point or another felt the need to rank the James Bond movies. Goldfinger is number one on almost all of those lists. And if it's not number one, it's number two or three. Okay. There are people who like, for example, the Daniel Craig, a couple of the Daniel Craig movies better. There's some debate, but Goldfinger is definitely creme de la creme. Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert called it his favorite Bond film. Collider calls it the gold standard all Bond films are held to. Screen Rant calls it the Casablanca of James Bond films, (laughs) a veritable greatest hits of iconic film moments. 
Screen Crush says Goldfinger is the ultimate Bond, the source from which springs not just every Bond film that followed, but many action movies of all shapes and sizes. It's one of the most influential films of the 20th century. Wow. Time Out says it's the movie that perfected the template for what we consider a proper Bond movie. Tricked out sports cars and spy gadgets, eccentric supervillains, quirky sidekicks, a name-dropping opening song, and a fun, flirty, tongue-in-cheek version of Fleming's hero. Goldfinger made him a pop culture icon that endured for decades. And then Rolling Stone says, This is the time capsule Bond movie, the one that explains to future generations why we've been obsessed for 50 years and counting with British agent 007. In his third go-round in the role, Sean Connery is danger and sexual swagger incarnate. Sure. Wearing a tux under his wetsuit and ordering a martini shaken, not stirred. So sexual swagger incarnate. False. You haven't even watched the movie I don't need yet. to see it. You can't argue against that. I don't need to see it to know that that is false. Okay. You have, you have not seen a lot of Sean Connery movies, I have though, I've right? seen him in Marnie. <laughs> <laughs> Where, uh, yeah, he's not a great character. But yeah, so I have not seen a lot of Sean Connery. That's literally the only Sean Connery movie I've ever seen. That's literally the only Sean Connery movie I've ever seen. But I have seen photos of him from Bond and photos of him when he was younger. I I actually don't get the Connery thing. I don't find him attractive at all. Um, That's interesting. We'll see if that's true after this movie. I don't know why it would change with this. I've seen photos of him and I just I don't get it. To be fair, I also don't get the Brosnan thing. I don't think... I mean, I get how they are sort of conventionally Hollywood attractive. I don't get the Brosnan thing. I think he's way too pretty. I agree with you. He's not... do anything for he me. He doesn't seem tough. He doesn't yeah. seem like he would be able to kick See, Sean anyone's Connery ass. doesn't to me either. This is just heresy is what you're I'm saying sorry, right now. He just doesn't. I just... Nope. <laughs> I, like many people, will claim Sean Connery as the definitive Bond... However, I'm fibbing a little bit when I do that because I actually grew up in the Roger Moore era. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I would have seen the, my first Bond movie in the 70s. It was probably The Spy Who Loved Me or somewhere around that era, which was towards the end of the 70s. And then I, it was only later probably did I go back and catch the, the Sean Connery movies, mm-hmm. saw them on television or whatever. But the, the Roger Moore movies are kind of awful there's a couple of good ones but they just have they were starting to get more cartoonish it was starting to get just a little sillier and Hmm. tongue-in-cheek and smug i mean it was it was perfect for the kind of the me decade going into disco going into the reagan era plus by the time he left the role he was almost 60 and he was just too old to be doing that Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't i don't think there are a lot of people for whom roger moore is their favorite Bond. Yeah. Rest in peace. He just died recently, and I feel bad about saying that. But, <laughs> I mean, that, that's an interesting thing about the characters. I think that... Right. It's sort of inherently anachronistic a little bit, though, isn't it? It's just... I mean... And again, I haven't seen him, so I'm just totally talking out of my ass right now. But it... What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like that character is sort of stuck in amber, right? He's sort of preserved as, like, that is who Bond is, and Bond is that way no matter what the sort of geopolitical and cultural changes that are happening around him. He is always sort of this sort of, this one idea of, like, what the British Empire is and what it is as as an operator in the world. And I think maybe that changed a little bit with Daniel Craig. I think they got a little bit more into sort of what you were talking about earlier of, like, the falling of the empire and sort of the questioning Mm -hmm. of the, the power and everything. But I feel like it's also, like, I think that that character just is sort of out of time a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right in in one sense. And, I mean, first of all, we should acknowledge that there really is very little character to James Bond at mm-hmm. all. 
Um, he's an assembly of characteristics, but it's hard to talk about the character of James mm-hmm. Bond. And Ian Fleming knew that and designed him that way. Fleming said in an interview with Playboy shortly before he died in 64, he said, I don't think he is necessarily a good guy or a bad guy. Who is? He's got his vices and very few perceptible virtues except patriotism and courage, which are probably not virtues anyway. He's certainly got little in the way of politics, and he's got little culture. He's a man of action. He says, I didn't intend for him to be a particularly likable person. He's a cipher, a blunt instrument in the hands of government. So, yeah, I think you're right. And I think it was actually during the Pierce Brosnan era that they began to acknowledge that sort of out of time mm-hmm. element. That's when Judy Dench came on as M and you know, she called him a misogynist and a like a dinosaur. She said, you're, you know, mm-hmm. a throwback that you have no place in modern politics. That's how she treated him at first. So that is true. And I do think the the Daniel Craig movies pick up on that more. But then I also think if you just look at the movies, they do change where every era kind of gets the James Bond it deserves. Okay, yeah. So you've got in the 60s, it's kind of Cold War mentality mixed with this sort of sexist swinging 60s vibe. The 70s, as we said, it starts to get a little more smug, a little more excessive. Going into the 80s, again, that sort of Reagan Thatcherism kind of starts to creep into it. Brosnan. That's my least favorite era. They're they're very tech heavy. They're mm-hmm. very gadget heavy and very slick. So I've seen those described as kind of like the '90s tech boom era. Right. And then Craig is a post 9/11. Right. Bond. Right. And I'm not. I don't claim to be a scholar on this. I'm not a huge Bond aficionado, so I can't speak. I'm sure there are people who have written much more eloquently about this, but I do think it's one of the interesting elements of these movies. But let's go back to just the appeal of the actor. Okay. Which I think for everyone is a big part of the appeal of these movies. You know, whether you're sexually attracted to James Bond or whether you want to be James. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, this sort of ideal cool personification mm-hmm. of the kind of man that you want to be. I think that's such an important element. Daniel Craig works for you. Yes. In a suit. In a suit. <laughs> What other, like, leading men work for you? See, I don't have a lot of the quote-unquote leading man thing, as you know. I like my gentlemen a little rough around uh-huh. the edges. Um, so the the guys that I like, except for, I mean, they're somewhere. They're just dictionary beautiful men. So someone like a Mahershala Ali, like, he's just gorgeous, and everybody thinks he's gorgeous, so there's no question about that. But then there, there's the other end of the spectrum where I think that, like, a Javier Bardem is very, very attractive. <laughs> uh, and his face is, it, like, again, he looks like somebody that's kind of been punched a lot. Yeah, he's kind of got that old got leather like... <laughs> quality to his face. So, so I'm kind of, yeah, I don't like a lot of pretty boys. There are fewer on that sort of Mahershala Ali side of the spectrum versus there, there are more on the Javier Bardem. So, like, um, oh, God, what's the other one that looks like beat-up suitcase? Benicio. Yes, so Benicio Del Toro, yeah. who's actually... He may be aging out a little because his face is getting just, <laughs> it's a lot now. Um, but I used to fucking love Benicio Del Toro and his leathery little face. Um, who else? All right. Well, let's let's try this. Okay. So we're going to, I actually pulled up a couple of different lists of like leading men. And I'm. And this is very narrowly on the kind of action movie, okay. alpha male sure. sort of macho. Mm-hmm. 
hero leading men. Okay. That, that sort of genre that we're talking about. So all guys who, if nothing else, could swap a punch with James Bond. Okay. Okay. So let's just kind of run down this list. We'll do a little, like, kind of word association, give, give you a first impression <laughs> of them. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Steroids. <laughs> He's that, like, veiny kind of look that I don't like. Like, it just looks like you're doping up and, you know, you have a small pee So he doesn't yeah. do anything no, for you? nothing, absolutely What about nothing. the sort of charming, comedic Arnold Schwarzenegger? When was he charming and comedic? He made a surprising number of comedies. Kindergarten Cop. That was not a good movie. Uh, Twins, not a pregnant. good movie. Like, those aren't good films. I don't find him charming or comedic. Okay. Uh, Bruce Willis. No. 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 He looks like somebody's racist dad. <laughs> lives in the suburbs. I don't, I don't understand the Bruce Willis thing. He's probably a very fine gentleman, but that's what I... That's where my brain goes. I have no reason to think that's true, but okay. <laughs> Liam Neeson. I mean, Liam is fine. Who did not start out as an action he did not. He's star, late and yet era, that seems yeah, to be yeah. He's moving into that. Entirely, you know, he has a special set days. of skills. <laughs> um, Liam's fine. I don't think Liam is hot. Okay, but he's fine. He's okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to skip right over Harrison Ford because oh, we know what you mountain think about face, yes. craggy face. Yeah, you're on the record. We don't need it okay. enough. No with emotion the in Ford his abuse. face. He'd have the same face all throughout sex. Like his face wouldn't change. <laughs> and that's creepy as shit. So. <laughs> Um, in a similar vein, I'm not sure I need to ask you what you think of Mel Gibson. Oh but my sure, God. Let's go ahead. Are you serious right now? <laughs> One, he was never attractive. And then now that we know who he is, no. Okay. Uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh, another one. What is the racist grandpas at me? No, <laughs> no. All right. Uh, let's try somebody younger. Um, Jason Statham. He's actually hot. I can see the Statham Okay. Thing. I can he, see the Statham You like thing. the Statham? Sure. The Statham is fun. He, and he's actually funny in um that uh, Melissa McCarthy movie, Spy, where there was like a spoof <laughs> oh, on yeah, Spy. Yeah, so yeah, he's actually okay. funny in that. So, yes. I'm, he, he did exhibit a surprising yeah. comedic talent there. So, I'm there. a fan of Jason Statham. Another okay. one who looks good in a suit. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Dwayne is good. Dwayne. I'm sorry. President. No, Dwayne we're the not Rock doing Johnson. this. We're not going to have this conversation right now. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. Um, Rock 2020, man. No, Dwayne is an attractive man, but he's also like, I don't like guys that are super big like okay. that. There are only a few guys like that that I like that are super big. Jason Momoa being one of them. <laughs> okay, well, so not super big. Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise. No, no. No. We we talked a little Tom Cruise yeah. when we did Top Gun yeah, a few I, weeks I ago. I do not understand it. I do not understand it. His face is a cult. Um, another one that keeps coming up, Keanu Reeves. Keanu is fine as shit. Really? Yes. I have never understood that. I have never understood how any woman can look at, <laughs> or man, can look at Keanu Reeves and say he's hot. He is hot. I actually like my Keanu scruffier. So, like, when he's Neo and he's all clean cut and mm. his short hair is not there. But in, like, the John Wick films, he has the beard going, the hair is longer. Keanu's hot. He has some good cheekbones. I, yes. I literally don't understand yes. it. I'm all about Keanu. Okay, another one of your favorites, Nicolas Cage. Nope. What? He looks like walking crazy. No, <laughs> there's nothing sexy about Nicolas Cage. No. Uh, Russell Crowe. No. <laughs> No. He's just like, he looks like he drinks a lot. Like he has that alcohol puff to him. I don't know if he has a drink problem, but that's what he looks like to me. And isn't he an asshole? 
I mean, isn't everybody an asshole? I mean, right. Keanu's not an asshole. Alright. Uh, Denzel? Here's the thing with Denzel. Okay. I do not think Denzel is hot. Denzel is a gorgeous man. He's a beautiful man. But you don't find him hot. But I don't want to have sex with Denzel. Okay. But I see... But Denzel is a beautiful man. Okay. There's a difference between, like, people that you're, like, you are obviously a beautiful person and you look amazing versus I want to rip your clothes off right now. I don't have that for Denzel. <laughs> I've never... Even, like, younger Denzel didn't have it. Don't have it. And you and you have that for Keanu Reeves? I have it for Keanu Reeves. Jesus. <laughs> Um, let's see. Okay, some of these I'm skipping over because I know you haven't seen any of them. Like Steve McQueen. I've seen pictures of Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen's hot. You've never seen a John Wayne movie? No. We will, we will get to all of these eventually. Oh, your good buddy Matt Damon. How about him? Ugh, that's some, you know, corn-fed white boy right there. <laughs> like, no. No, I don't get the Matt Damon thing. I don't get the, what's his friend, Ben Affleck thing. Okay. There are a bunch of those guys where I'm just like, you look like you live in Iowa. Will Smith? Will Smith is cute, but I don't have, like, the hots for Will Smith. Okay. I'm wondering now, too, if you just don't like these sorts of movies. I don't, These kind of alpha male action movie. Well, I don't, but I mean, that that wouldn't hinder me from finding these gentlemen hot if they were hot, but they're just, a lot of them just aren't hot to me. Okay. In that way. Give me a good, you know, Paul Newman. That's a, I'll take a Paul Newman any time of the day. I'm trying to think of, like, muscly guys that I like. So Trevante Rhodes from Moonlight, he's sort of built in that sort of muscular. Mm-hmm. I like him. I think I just, maybe that's just not my body type on guys. They're, they're few and far between. Okay. Though a lot of the guys you named, their bodies were not No, awesome. they did not necessarily have yeah. awesome bodies. Well, I mean, back in the like sixties and seventies, you didn't need to have that body to be an action star. Right. That was although Stallone. Did we talk about Stallone? Ugh, no, <laughs> no. Don't get the Stallone thing at all. He doesn't look bright, and so that's sort of an immediate <laughs> like it just sort of shuts everything down. It's just like you don't look bright or funny or interesting, so it's not going to work for me. <sighs> all right. Well, I guess I guess we will see if if Sean Connery can. I'm tell- I've am i seen photos of Sean Connery. I saw him and Marnie. Sean Connery's not going to do it for me. Not even with the accent. The accent would usually get you part of the way there. So what are you expecting from this experience? Um, Imperialism. Sexism. Is a woman painted gold? Isn't there one where a woman is actually painted gold? That may or may not happen like in dies the movie. Sure. Or something. Okay. So, sure. <laughs> I'm not expecting much at all. Do you want to uh, describe the plot of this movie? Do you feel like you, you have a handle on what the plot of James Bond films are? I imagine he is fighting some sort of ambiguously non-white foreigner. And uh, he has sex with many women, has some drinks, wears some suits. God save the queen. <laughs> Your enthusiasm is just uncontainable. Well, I just, I don't, you know, it's fucking propaganda, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be one of those days, is it? This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. 
I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Welcome back. During the break, Nakia and I watched Goldfinger. Nakia, this was your first experience with classic James Bond. How did that go for you? I was unimpressed. How is that even possible? <laughs> I don't see how this ranks as sort of the uh, end-all, be-all of Bond films, really. I mean, it definitely has like all the sort of the the gadgets. You got the theme song. You got the henchman and the ridiculous villain. You got the Bond woman. You got the car. So it just felt like a bunch of parts. Like it, I didn't. It wasn't. But they're all iconic. You have all these iconic are. moments. Yes. Sure. Do I mean, you expect yes. me to talk. Right. It just all was kind of corny and not <laughs> interesting. I didn't really care about any of it, and it wasn't fun enough to make up for the fact that I didn't care. So I have to say, you know, you have this perception because you have a persecution complex that you are the one suffering from this project. Well, I am. By I actually think I get the worst out of it. How so? Because these are movies that I love before I watch them with you. <laughs> uh-huh. And even <laughs> even before we talk about them, just the experience of sitting beside you on a couch... <laughs> Watching a movie, knowing that you are watching it through your eyes, mm-hmm. I start to think less of the movie. But I wasn't even like shitting on the movie while it. we were watching it. I know that's it. what I I'm saying, but I know I just start to feel embarrassed at some of the stuff in the movie. As you should. And I know you're just going to give them shit, <laughs> and I end up just not feeling as good well, about then the movie. We shouldn't do this if it's ruining these sort of you know. No, we shouldn't do this, and no, nobody should listen to this podcast. Mm-mm. Because it's just going to make them see movies the way you see them. So, at at the top of the episode, I talked about how the Roger Moore movies were sort of silly and smug and ridiculous and, and sort of cartoonish. That's what... And I hadn't seen this in probably 30 years. For, I, for some reason, thought the Connery movies were a little more serious, a little grittier, a little more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. In comparison to the Roger Moore movies. And maybe they are. Maybe the Roger Moore movies are even worse. Right. But this is pretty silly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's corny and it's, and yeah. I just, again, I didn't, I stand by what I said earlier in that I don't necessarily buy him as this great fighting spy so much, really. Like, he's good with the little, he's quick with the wit. He's good with, a, you know, a cor- a, he's good the, with a corny line. Yeah, but, the corny lines are a problem, actually. <laughs> But the fight scenes in themselves were were not impressive. They seemed very slow and sort of mm. just fumbly. Um, so it was like, I just don't buy him, really. I also don't buy that every woman that sees him <laughs> is all of a sudden, like, dickmatized and just can't say no. Like, I, like, are we seeing the same person? Okay, we will get to that later. Okay. We will definitely talk about that. Let's kind of just go through some of this movie and just talk about it scene by scene. Because I think that, again, there are just so many moments that are iconic for better or worse. Worse. <laughs> so the the first shot we actually get of James Bond is, is, of ridiculous. A, is of a duck. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's swimming underwater with a duck straight. 
strapped to his head. <laughs> Which, why do you need that as... That's totally unnecessary. Yeah, I really don't... They know. need to think it's a dead bird floating in the water. <laughs> that's how I'm going to sneak up on them. Wouldn't wouldn't just swimming underwater be... Be fine. You had a scuba suit. You're underwater. You don't then need Maybe the have... duck was a snorkel. I guess I didn't I didn't look too closely. Maybe the the, the duck carcass... Was hiding the no, snorkel so wasn't. he could breathe no, underwater. No, it was a dead duck glued to the top of his scuba suit <laughs> as some sort of ingenious plan to sneak into this little area here. It's fucking stupid. Okay, so and then he gets out of the water. And hold on, is that something that Q provided? Here, the duck. We Almost have a, certainly. We have a dead duck that we're going to glue yeah. onto mm-hmm. the scuba suit. Yes, yeah. this is top of the line advancement. Q clearly has too much time on his hands. I just. <laughs> Okay, we'll come back to Q. Let's okay. So this mission, which I don't even remember where it, I don't even know if it says where it takes place. It's some nondescript South American country. About we have no idea what the mission is about. It doesn't matter. No. This is all the pre-credit sequence, which is again, that's just template James Bond. Mm-hmm. You get this pre-credit sequence mission. He goes into this secret lab inside a big tank. There are conveniently giant red barrels that say nitro on them inside the lab that he can just wire some explosives up to to blow off the lab. Okay, that was easy. Sure. Um, Then he takes off his wetsuit. To reveal a pristine tuxedo. (laughs) This is why I chiefly would like to be James Bond. His clothes do not wrinkle. No, they stay pretty immaculate. Nobody's suit looks that good. Even just... When he gets on the plane and he switches into his suit, his suit is perfectly yeah. pressed. Yeah. Like, let alone swimming under the water with a dead duck attached to your head and Which coming again, out. you cannot wear a tuxedo under a damn scuba suit. <laughs> That's, let's just be clear on that. He even has the little, he the pulls out the, the little boutonniere yeah. and puts no, it in. That's not it's how, just, that's not how mm, life works. Yeah. It's not, no. <laughs> okay. And then we have the scene with... The first of his random girlfriends Mm -hmm. in which he takes her in his arms. I think she's naked, but, you know, carefully covered with a sheet or something. And the assassin comes out. Right. With the club. Right. And she has amazingly reflective eyes. (laughs) Oh, come on. That's a good shot. Come on. That's a good shot. That's not how eyes work. No. She was looking at the dude coming from behind. That's how you know someone's behind you. Not because you get a perfectly framed... He saw no. the image of the assassin in, in her, her eye. In eyeballs. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then deservedly twirled her around right. to take the blow. Take the yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's classy and charming. That is uh, in the next movie, Thunderball, I think is the next movie. They replay that scene, only it's with a gun. And he's dancing with a woman. Mm-hmm. And when the assassin fires, he just twirls his partner around to nice. take the bullet in her back. Women. Vaginas and human shields. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Then he he uh, disposes of the assassin with the old, what is he, a fan or something? Some he fan throws in the bathtub. bathtub and and we get the first of the terrible puns. Shocking. Positively shocking. <laughs> That's a really good Sean Connery. It's a, a horror. I don't want to do a Sean Connery. That's the thing. I don't even want a Sean Connery in my arsenal. Okay, and then we're at, and this is the one part of the movie you cannot possibly complain about, I'm the title sure. sequence. Okay, yes. Shirley Basie's song and that title sequence is pretty amazing. It 
perfectly captures the, the whole like mood of the film. It is I, that is absolutely I think, iconic. I think that is actually consistently my favorite part of the Bond movies is the title the sequences. Title sequences yeah. They're just fucking awesome. Yeah. And this one is more awesome when you remember this was pre-computer, pre. Mm-hmm. There's no Photoshop or anything. What they did is they got a hot girl in a bikini in a dark room. They painted her with a reflective surface, and they projected scenes scenes from the movie onto her, and they filmed that. That's awesome, and it works beautifully. Women, vaginas, (laughs) human shields, canvases. (laughs) So many uses. So many uses. We're like fucking army knives or whatever. Okay, and then we are in uh, Miami Beach. Yes. And let's talk a little bit about one of the things the Bond movies promise is exotic locations. Like Miami Beach. The locations in this movie suck. They're not great. We go briefly to, I guess, the Swiss Alps or somewhere in the middle of the movie. But generally, we're in, like, Miami Beach. Kentucky. Kentucky. Like, who the (laughs) fuck wants to go? And they didn't even go to Kentucky or Miami Beach. Like, it's all rear projection stuff and not glamorous in this. So, going back to the idea of, like, ranking the James Bond movies, Goldfinger lost some points (laughs) with me when I realized that this is a pretty crappy travelogue. Maybe it was some sort of statement on America. <laughs> Shitty America. Miami Beach and Kentucky with, I believe they were KFC in one shot. Maybe that's just right. the thing about America. <laughs> right. Okay, so then we meet Goldfinger. Tell, right. tell me about Goldfinger. Uh, A.K.A. Augustus Glute. <laughs> <laughs> Who, okay. Do you sit down and play cards with someone who has a fucking earpiece in their ear? I think the idea was that he was passing it off as a hearing aid. Nope. You don't play cards with that person. No, I'm sorry. If that's ableist, I'm sorry. I'm not playing cards with you. You have an earpiece in your ear. Certainly. And then it's like, I need to sit in that ta- that seat Right. Mind if I have my customary right. chair? Bullshit. Yeah. Do not play cards with that person. I mean, maybe the first time that works, but <laughs> this guy supposedly had all, like already lost right. like $40,000 exactly. to him. So. Yeah, not too no, bright. You deserve to lose all your money because that is an obvious scam right there. Okay, so Bond pretty quickly realizes that this guy is cheating. Because it's obvious from 80 miles away that he's cheating. And despite the fact that he has no orders to do so, mm-hmm. uh, his his only order is to observe Oric Goldfinger. I don't right. even remember why. Right. He decides to intervene on this and sneaks up to the room and finds the incredibly hot partner who is helping him cheat. Mm-hmm seduces her instantly yeah um and this is this is a theme that i'm going to come back to throughout our discussion of this movie bond is kind of a terrible secret agent he's not particularly stealth he's not stealth Um, he doesn't follow orders and he's not very effective like what this does is it blows his cover it gets the girl killed like there's no reason for him to do this he basically spends the whole movie just getting caught and like looking into sort of getting out of that and it's just like (laughs) you're you're really terrible at your job but okay and you're just lucky enough to have a villain who's like i've decided to keep you around for no reason whatsoever that that is a problem in every one of these movies and I mean, it goes beyond the Bond movies, but especially in the Bond movies. This one is particularly egregious. There is no reason for him to keep James Bond alive throughout this movie. He has him helpless, pretty much as you said, throughout the entire movie. And yet, not only doesn't kill him, 
lets him walk around yeah. more or less freely. Pretty much. <laughs> Discusses all his plans with him. <laughs> like, And even then, Bond still has trouble getting the job done. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay, but this scene, so Bond, you know, the woman instantly, what did you say? Digna- Digmatized di- is okay. actually the technical term. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they fall into bed together, he gets knocked out, and he wakes up. After making sure to say the perfect temperature that you're supposed to drink Dom Perignon, but yes. <laughs> yes. So he gets knocked out by what we will come to, who we will come to find out is Odd Job. Uh-huh. And wakes up to find that, what is her name? We should probably know her name. So the character. Jill. She, it, it's Jill Masterson, yes. Yes, Jill Masterson has been painted <laughs> amazingly meticulous paint job I've ever seen. How long was he out? And did Oddjob really like take the time? That's at least three coats because there's no streaks whatsoever. And there's not really a mess in the room. I just... Right, so he had to like put down papers or something and then take the papers away because it's not all over the sheets. It's just... And if you're out that long, you should go to the hospital because you absolutely have brain damage because you've been out for fucking ever. Because that takes a long ass time. And then he touches her and didn't, doesn't get paint on his hand, so I believe she's dry. Right, she's had time. She's had time to so, dry. No. And I don't. Did they even have airbrushes then, or was this all done by I hand? Have, I don't I know. I have no idea. It's, you know, it was an amazing. That's like a missing scene job. of the movie it's is where we see paint job. Odd job. Doing I have spent this. all day painting apartment walls that aren't that well done. <laughs> you take like an hour and a half on your fingernails. Right? I mean, come on. And then they're still chipped and shitty. <laughs> she was perfect. <laughs> so that scene is so iconic. Shirley Eaton was painted gold. Was like on the cover of Life magazine that year. Painted gold. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it does not make a fucking no. lick of no. sense. It's a weird way to kill somebody. It's a really weird way to kill It's somebody. also bullshit. You can't kill somebody by doing that. Oh, that's not a real thing? No. Nope. I did not look that up. I just believe whatever movies yeah, tell me. No, like, that okay. whole skin suffocation <laughs> thing, not a real thing. It's like, sure, okay, I guess your pores <laughs> nope. can't breathe. Yeah, nope. It sounds good, but no. But I guess your mouth and your nose still work. Right. So <laughs> You don't actually breathe through your skin, so. I mean, I was like, okay, sure. Shitty way to go. Yeah. There are so many questions. Yeah. But it is it is a very, it's a striking scene. I see why it has sort of stuck around in the iconography. I get it. But I just, that's ridiculous. I think... Uh, I think there was a callback to that in one of the Daniel Craig movies. I think it's Quantum of Solace, where kind of the same thing happens, only he wakes up and a girl's covered in oil or something. I don't remember, but yeah. And she dies from that? I don't remember. That movie bored me to death. I honestly don't remember it. I just have a vague impression that they did a callback to this. So, yes, he's pissed. A little pissed. I I mean, mean, he didn't... He wasn't that emotionally yeah, involved in no, this girl, but not you know, really pissed. just like what? If nothing else, they pulled one over on him, and he's he's a little irritated at that sure. that he slept through what as was apparently a twelve-hour grooming priming, process, priming, painting, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. buffering, sure. turtle waxing. I don't know what all was involved in that. Okay, so now he is uh, off after Auric Goldfinger. He's he goes back to headquarters. M is M orders him to go undercover. This is the point at which he goes to play golf. Oh yeah, with Goldfinger. We spend way too much time on the golf course. <laughs> that whole that scene was way too long. 
It really was. Just so you can be like, oh, I'm smarter than you and I have switched your golf balls. Mm-hmm. It didn't really serve any purpose. It was way too long. Well, you're not really a golf fan. It doesn't matter. Is anyone a golf fan? Presumably there are people who okay. enjoy the sport, yes. But yeah, Bond, uh, what, what is he, catch him cheating and then he cheats? And yeah. It's, there's like, just a lot of cheating it's just, For no purpose, on. though, there's no... Well, that's the thing. And again, I come back to my theme. Like, he's not undercover because fucking Oddjob already knows who he yeah. is because he blew his cover in the first scene for yeah. no reason. And Goldfinger knows exactly who he is. Like, the whole thing, there's no point to any of it. This might have been a good plan if you hadn't already <laughs> blown your cover just to catch the guy cheating at cards earlier. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Is the golf course where we see Oddjob first use his magic decapitating hat? <laughs> I don't remember, but sure, let's talk about that. On a marble statue? Yeah. So, cuts the head of the marble statue clean off. Uh Uh-huh. Then we see him use the hat on the other blonde woman. Yes, on uh, Jill's sister Tilly. Knocks her over. Yeah, this is, you're you're jumping ahead, but this is a problem. Are there different bands where one is like (laughs) a serrated blade and the other one's just sort of... A stunner of some sort. I just... I, I agree. This is a problem with these movies is that they are bloodless. That's what... There was no blood, no. right? Okay, Mm-mm. I thought I was... Okay. Because these are... I mean, they're fundamentally still aimed at, like, kids. Mm-hmm. At the, it's a PG rating. But yeah, that that in particular was bloodless to the point of being confusing. I didn't think she was dead. I, was like, I oh, didn't did either. I thought she, I thought she was knocked out, right. and she would come back, and then she doesn't come back, and you're like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess she died I guess from that, that. that killed her. It just didn't... That had that could slice through marble. Why wouldn't he cut her head off? Right. (laughs) Do anything to her, really. Okay. Got it. Also, who thought of that as a weapon? That's sort of ridiculous. (laughs) And just unnecessarily, like, cumbersome. And frankly, does not seem particularly aerodynamic. Like, that would work very well. But I remember when I was a kid, I loved that idea. I'm sure I you loved did. that job. That was a great. You were probably throwing your head great, around all over the place. Absolutely, yes. Like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> a boomerang would be better. Like it's just, why were we doing this? And that's a terrible character. He just grunts through the whole film. He doesn't. He doesn't have a line of dialogue. Just like makes noises. At one point, he says like "ah." That's all he does <laughs> is like make noises. Yeah. I'm just like okay, well, it's one. If he doesn't speak English, if that's like supposed to be the issue. Then have him speak whatever language he's supposed to be speaking. He just like grunts like an animal. That's not. I just, mm-mm. No, not not on board with odd job. Okay, well, as long as we're talking about gadgets, let's talk about Q. I like the new Q. You, um, you prefer the new? This was Desmond Llewellyn, what's his who name? is the the quintessential Q. Ben Wishaw. I, yes, like, I, I like the new Q ben too. Wishaw. Like, I deeply have love for yeah. Ben Wishaw in my heart, and I like him as Q <laughs> so much. Um, but yeah, but this, this is just sort of Desmond Llewellyn was he. I think I don't I don't have stats or anything, but I think he was the most consistent cast member of the Bond movies. Mm-hmm. He was in like God only knows how many of these playing Q. Mm-hmm. You know, Bonds came and went, M's came and went, but he was still Q, Q right up until he died. And that's if he hadn't died, I think he would still be Q. <laughs> I don't think Ben Wishaw would have gotten the job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so this is another the iconic thing the. Aston Martin DB5, sure. the car. This is the most famous of the James Bond cars. Mm-hmm. Comes equipped with 
smoke screen, oil slick, oil rear gun, machine gun, ejector seat, <laughs> ejector seat. The one I will say is a lie is he said, oh, it comes with all of the license plates for every country. That is not possible on that mechanism. So that is a lie. <laughs> no, I think it had three. <laughs> yeah. So, nope. <laughs> Don't oversell the car. Yeah. <laughs> but I like how... Later in the film, we see Bond use all of those things in, like, exactly the order yeah. that Q told us the car was capable of doing. Yeah. It's like, smoke screens, check. Oil slick, <laughs> check. Machine guns, check. Ejector seat, check. I don't think he told us about, though, the, like, the tire. No, that was a, the little chariot yeah. race uh, mm-hmm. tire shredding sure, thing so that, that, he, that he uses later on, on uh, Jill's, Jill's sister. Jill's sister, who... Okay. Useless. <laughs> uh, let's see. We didn't talk about uh, Miss Money Penny, Who's also deeply in love with Bond. Well, everybody's deeply in love with Bond. Mm-hmm. She's just the only one who never gets to actually sleep with him. Good for her. <laughs> You're probably, you know, saving yourself some visits to the clinic. Oh, I, I forgot to ask you if you recognize the, uh, the character of the CIA agent, Felix. I don't even remember. Like, well, uh, that's... Remember his face. No, you know him from the newer movies as Jeffrey Wright. Sorry, what? The CIA agent, Felix Leiter. And now he's played by Jeffrey... Is Jeffrey Wright's character? Play, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. Same guy. <laughs> just as Miss Moneypenny is now. Uh, so they just made name? those two people black? Nomi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Way to have some progress. So, a little bit of progress sure. there. <laughs> sure. Put him on the peripheral. But yes, Felix Leiter is the... He's a he's a character that recurs throughout most of the movies. He's sort of Bond's counterpart in the CIA, yet weirdly useless. Right, less cool, <laughs> less helpful. Yeah. They are particularly useless in yeah. this film. We'll just, you know, if he needs us, he'll call. <laughs> okay. Except for the moment where he decides to send a message to them and like... But then do they even get that message? Oh, God, I don't remember. Okay, so let... Okay. Okay, go ahead. So... Eventually, Augustus Glue brings <laughs> Bond back to his Kentucky plantation. <laughs> okay. Do we know it's a plantation? Yeah, there's like banjos and shit. That's a fucking plantation. So, you really think that dude doesn't have some questionable politics? Okay. So, we're back to Mar-a-Lago here. Right. And they put him in the cell. And this whole <laughs> section is just... There's so many things. Let's come back to the cell. Remind me to come back to the cell oh, scene. Okay. So they, they put Bond in the cell. And then he has the most fucking elaborate AV presentation <laughs> of his plan. You, you're talking about Goldfinger I'm now. talking about glue. Right. right. So first we have the whole room, the windows come down and all this big dramatic thing. And then this huge screen that shows a map of Fort Knox. Yeah. Then the floor opens and we have yet another map of Fort Knox that is not any more helpful than the map you already have up. There's no reason how many people and how long did it take to build a fucking removable floor so that you could have this little moment when you have the exact same map on the screen. I do not understand this. To impress people you, that you are just going to gas to right. death who you ask for five help. minutes like, okay, later. You help me with this? One dude says no and walks out and then everybody gets gassed. <laughs> after you've told them everything that you're about to do. 
I've spent 15 years and involved all 80 of you people in here, and I'm just going to gas you with this gas that I just made up that magically dissipates in like two minutes. And is conveniently invisible, and so we can save right. that special effect. So then the one mobster that leaves, the one mobster is just like, you know what? Just give me my money. I don't want to be involved in this little super elaborate plan. You're fucking crazy. It's too many fucking maps. Like, it's, I just can't deal. So he leaves. So then they put his fucking million dollars worth of gold in the car. And they say, okay, I'm just going to take you to the airport. It's cool. He gets in the car. They drive him to the fucking airport. You shoot him. Then you take the car to the fucking car lot and have it smashed. The gold is still in the car. So the car gets compounded. With the man and the gold and the note that Bond was trying to get to the fucking FBI. To me, if you're taking the car to the car lot, to, you're doing that to dispose of it. You don't want anything to do with it. But there's fucking million dollar worth of gold in the car. So now you got to take the compacted car out and drive it back to the fucking plantation. And now we got to fucking break open this Rubik's Cube of a car to get the gold out. What? I don't understand the decision making. I don't understand why you would do that. That's a whole lot of effort for some bullshit. I do not get it. It took me 15 years to plan this. This is why. Because you make poor decisions. It's way, it's, it's too many things happening. Too many moving parts. I, it's unnecessary. It's, it's, it's all perfectly logical. It's not. And then the plan itself is, I'm going to irradiate the gold supply in Fort Knox so that my gold is worth more. Okay. That's some lame shit, dude. There has to be a better way for you to do this. Super lame. But anyway, while all this is happening. Oh, okay. That wasn't even that wasn't even the point of what well, you were we trying had, to get well, to. That was, that was the point was that that whole car compacting scene, I was furious because I don't understand why you would do that. That If he was in the car by himself, does, fine. But you put the gold in the yeah, car. Yeah, job throws the, the crushed car in the back of a... So now you have to bring back the evidence. Hatchback. The implicating evidence back and, to the And finger says, now I have to go now get I my gold out of this, out of this crushed, crushed car. car. That was poor planning. Why go through all that? Just let him go back in the room and be gas with the other people. And it's not even like Oddjob just forgot to do it. No. That was obviously the plan. That was part of the, the plan. Time. We're going to make him think we're taking him to the airport <laughs> with his money. But then I'm going to drive all the way to the airport. Like, the fuck I'm going to drive all the way to O'Hare just to shoot you. And then got to find a car in pound lot. It's, no. No, and I have to change cars because now I need a car with a, a, a fucking bed in the back so that I can put this crushed car in it. No, no. This is why you're not a supervillain. I would be excellent, though, because my point A to point B. Like, we don't need all these diversions, and that's a waste of resources. Your floors wouldn't even move. No, because you know what? You have a big-ass map already. The floor map added no extra information. It wasn't closer in. It was, Like, there was no reason to have the floor map. And it means that you brought people in to build this format so then they know all your shit. So do you have to kill them? Probably. It's unnecessary. It's really unnecessary. And it's just an easy, convenient mechanism for Bond, once he breaks out of the cell, to then stand under the model and just listen to your entire plan that you just laid out for the mobsters that you're now going to kill. And there's no, there's no point to it. And how does he break out of the cell? By pretending 
playing the like I'm going down the stairs game with the <laughs> fucking guard that was sitting there with him. Ooh, I just disappeared from view. Where did I go? He's in a cell. He didn't go anywhere. Why are you going in there? Why are you confused? Why are you opening the door? He's obviously still in the cell. There's nowhere for him to go. But you're like, whoa, did I go down some stairs? <laughs> and then you don't look up to see that he's hanging on the ceiling waiting to fall on you and, like, knock you out. Everybody in this operation sucks. Everybody sucks. Everybody sucks. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know where we are in the story at this point. Because it's all ridiculous. It is all ridiculous. Is this after the grandma with the machine gun? Or before? This is after the grandma with the machine gun. Okay. Which is all <sighs> Yeah, we we skipped over that sequence of the car chase. I guess we talked about all the gadgets that he right. used. None of which worked. No, I think like, the oil He has this super tricked out car. One, I think works. And he used the real rear shield. He used the rear shield because the grandma with the machine right. gun. I don't know who she is or, what, or how she factors into it. <laughs> but then he ends up not getting away because he drives into a wall because he sees his reflection in, in a, a mirror, mirror and thinks it's an oncoming car. Like he's not good at this. No, this is he's a terrible, terrible secret agent. Yeah, and is just captured <laughs> yet again. Okay, I think it's I think it's time. We we we've basically skipped over a whole girl here, Tilly. Because she's useless. <laughs> so she's in this little game of mouse or whatever with Bond on the highway through mm-hmm. the Alps. Yeah. Our first assumption, at least my first assumption, was she was somehow involved with Gloop because, like, thinking that okay, maybe this is some other sort of henchman of his. Right. And she was mm-hmm. going to be involved. And the reason I thought that. <laughs> Is because they all come to a stop. Gloop stops at some sort of fucking kid's fruit stand. Which is, why is that there? Get some lemonade. And then Bond stops at, you know, a hill right above that so he can perfectly overlook that scene. Right. And then she stops at a hill yet higher so right. that she can look, overlook it all. And then shoots. She shoots directly at Bond. <laughs> yeah, she misses him by inches. So you're like, oh, she must be working with Gloop. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, no, she was trying to shoot Gloop. <laughs> She's just a really fucking bad, way she off. She's a really bad shot. Terrible shot. Yeah. Never trust a woman with a gun. First of all, yes, you can <laughs> if they know how to use it. And then they have their little chase scene on the highway, and we get the car, the, the tire, tire shredder. thing. Uh-huh. So he, he runs her off the road because her tire and half of her, the side of her car is totally eaten up. <laughs> He's like, oh, how did that happen? She's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, he literally just. <laughs> Did that to your car, yeah. but you don't you don't realize that that's what happened right there. So you're gonna get in the car with this gentleman that you don't know <laughs> that just ran you off the road that you just shot at that you just shot at <laughs> accidentally when you were trying to shoot someone else. She's terrible at her job. More people terrible at their job. Well, that's why she dies from getting hit in the neck. Trying with to a get hat. revenge for the death of her gold coated sister. <laughs> if you've learned nothing, take your time with revenge. Like you need to spend. You need to do the whole. You know. Kill Bill shit where you spend some time training. You need to have some maps. Yes. Maybe a three-dimensional Maybe map. Maybe a floor in map. Floor. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to prepare for that so that <laughs> you can at least shoot the person that you're meaning to shoot. <laughs> and then she gets hit with the hat that doesn't cut her head off for some reason, and she's gone. And that's it. Useless. What? Oh, we never talked about the laser scene. 
Because it's stupid. <laughs> One, I am not a fan of slow killing. If you're just going <laughs> to just shoot them in the head. Why do we have to have these elaborate, oh, this okay. laser beam cuts through gold. <laughs> I expect you to die, Mr. Bond. Like, why? Why? This is why I would be a better villain. Because it's like, pop, pop, in the head, and then move on. But to be fair, every joke about a monologuing villain who puts his hero into an sure. elaborate death trap sure. can be traced back to this. That's So fine. that makes this scene iconic. That's fine. Even though it doesn't make it's any sense fine. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I had somehow, and I don't, I honestly don't know where this came from, whether it's some other takeoff on this that I saw as a kid or some other show that did a version of this. I thought Bond got out of that trap somehow by doing something clever. I feel like I'm clever. seeing riffs of like him using the laser to like slice the handcuffs or something. Yeah, and right. I don't that's remember what, where like, it's from. That's what I was remembering but yeah, too. yeah, there must have been some And he doesn't. No, he no, just lies there and chit-chats because that's what the fuck he does is Inching talk. closer all and closer to his balls. All he does is run balls. his fucking mouth. Like that's all he does is talk. <laughs> I know about, what the fuck is it called? Operation Grand Slam. Grand Slam. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's his big gambit right there. But again, not a secret agent. Would have just been cut in half. Like, I, yeah. Not good. Disappointing. Not I was disappointed scene. in James not Bond. A good That's another, uh, let's see. Apparently, if IMDb is to be believed, that is the first laser beam in movies. Wasted. <laughs> and again, we come back to the special effects budget and mm-hmm. capability. The effect was accomplished by there was a guy under the table with a blowtorch cutting the table in half, moving towards Sean Connery's balls with the blowtorch. So if Sean Connery looked genuinely nervous in that scene, he probably had reason to be. Because there was a blowtorch coming to the Because there was a blowtorch from a guy under the table (laughs) moving steadily towards him. Mm -hmm. That's just genius, really. All right, I, I think I think the time has come to talk about pussy galore. I had high hopes for pussy. Did you? I did. Based she, on what? She seemed like she was like, no bullshit, turn off the charm, I'm not interested. She's very capable, she's very tough. Very capable. She's very smart. She has her like, pussy squad of pilots. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can do it, we can get with pussy galore, okay. that's totally fine. And then... <laughs> She gets into hand-to-hand combat with Bond in the barn or wherever uh-huh. the fuck they are on the plantation. And, they, you know, he gets her down and they're struggling and she's choking him and then not really choking him and then mm-hmm. choking him and then not really choking him. And then, oh, my God, yeah. we're making out One because you're so amazing. One of those scenes starts out super rapey yeah. and then... She just immediately falls yeah. in love. <laughs> Digmatized yet again by this asshole who has no charming qualities as far as I can see. Okay, it's it's actually so much worse than you know. In the book, it is made clear she is a lesbian. Mm. That would have been more interesting. See, but so no. So in the movie yeah. when she says she's immune to his charms, right. that's what she means. Right. And yet, in both the book and the movie, of course, Bond ends up seducing her and convincing her to turn against Goldfinger. And lesbianhood. And lesbianhood. And let me read you a couple things. That angers me so much. I know. So when he meets her, Fleming writes, Bond felt the sexual challenge all beautiful lesbians have for men. Ugh! (laughs) This is why we have problems in the world. Says her sexual confusion is attributable to women's suffrage. She's not confused. She likes vagina. (laughs) She's not confused. 
At the end of the book, after she has fallen for him, as all vagina holders must do, mm-hmm. he says to her, they told me you only liked women. And she replies, I never met a man before. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> Did she see him with a dead bird on his head? <laughs> That's who turned you, quote unquote? <laughs> And lest there be any confusion about the intention here, uh, there was a letter of Ian Fleming's that turned up in auction or something a couple of years ago where a psychologist wrote to him and said, and like objected to the fact that Pussy Galore starts out as a lesbian and then... Because that's not how that works. uh Right. And he replied, Pussy only needed the right man to come Uh, along and perform the laying on of hands. What? To cure her psychopathological malady. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. That's diabolical. That's disgusting. Yeah. So now it's like a religious thing. You know, a conversion. Some sort of exorcism of the lesbian demon. Yes, Mm -hmm, exactly. Through his dick. And you like this movie. (laughs) This is why we have... Fucking asshole dudes in clubs like, oh, you're a lesbian? I see that as a challenge. You just need the right man. They pick this shit up from this. No. You fuckers walk around thinking you can throw hats and throw dicks and the whole world is just going to open up for you. We can't spread colonialism anymore, so we're going to spread, you know, homosexual conversion therapy through Bond's dick. Are you kidding me right now? Okay, so coming back to the movie. Between that and, like, silent agent, Asian minions all over it. Like, I just, I don't understand why this was anybody's favorite anything. I really don't. Yeah, the, uh, are they, I think they're supposed to be Korean. I believe I think, they're I think supposed they to be Korean. they say they're Korean, even though they're just. Well, he makes, Gloop uh, makes mean, mention of them being Korean at the golf right. course. Right, odd job, the actor is Japanese, but I don't I'm know sure, what he was yeah, supposed to be. I'm, it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> they didn't care. No. And isn't there something about the plan was... Goldfinger, when, he's, when Goldfinger is endlessly monologuing mm-hmm. about the plan, he says something about irradiating the gold will increase the value of my own hoard. And destabilize and America. give China yeah. an advantage. And this is, again, this is a theme, coming back to the whole imperialism thing, this is a theme that comes up all the time in these movies. That either the villain is a person of color. Cartoonishly or a white person who is like has betrayed his own people and mm-hmm. is working for mm-hmm. the enemies of color to destabilize the Western world. Yeah. But fortunately it doesn't work because Pussy has been... Dickmatized. Brought around mm-hmm. to the side of good. Mm. Is that what we're calling heterosexuality? <laughs> is the side of good? No, I meant, you know, the, the side against nuking gold. Sure. I guess we could say that. So... What this means is she was able to somehow, and I it's unclear in the movie when the fuck she does any of this, but she alerts the FBI. Alerts the CIA, the FBI, the the army, whatever. Mm-hmm. She swaps out the canisters of gas on her airplanes mm-hmm. to be harmless. Mm-hmm. And then the entire battalion that surrounds Fort Knox. My guess is they must have rehearsed all of this because they, they all pretend to fall at the same to time, to fall asleep mm-hmm. when the planes are going overhead, releasing the now harmless gas. Yeah, and they sleep long enough for Goldfinger to get inside Fort Knox, mm-hmm. plant his, and activate his nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. 
And then they wake up and decide, okay, maybe we should stop this shit. Yes. Why? For the same reason that we put maps in Florida. <laughs> Wouldn't it have just been easier to stop him before no, no, he no. did it? We any need to of choreograph that? an entire. You have an army surrounding the place he's trying to get into. Maybe no, just no. stop him before he rolls his nuclear bomb. No. In there. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> no, no. We got to wait for him to activate the bomb. And then we say, okay, he's activated the bomb. Uh-huh. Everybody wake up. Now let's go fire live rounds into a building that's housing a nuclear bomb. Because that's what you do. That makes total sense. Which Bond can't even defuse. No. When it comes time to defuse the bomb, Bond cannot do it. No, the guy's coming and go like, it's this key right yeah. here. It's the off switch yeah. right here, and it just clicks it off. Yeah. Like, Bond is not good at any of this. He is not. And again, terrible fight scene between him and Odd Job. Oh yeah, we got okay. We got to talk about that. So Odd Job sees that Bond has you know gotten the keys to the handcuffs. He's released himself from the bomb. He's trying to you know uh, deactivate it. So he runs like eighteen flights of stairs down <laughs> versus it, throwing his magic hat. It must be said very slowly. Very slow. He keeps stopping at every level. Going, is he still trying to turn it off? Yep. Yeah, okay. He, run, he, run, run, run. He's stopping to breathe. He's, it's just. And then they have, again, like the sort of clumsiest fight I've ever seen in my life. The only funny thing is that Bond keeps picking up shit like maybe this will hurt him. And it's like a big ass like bedpost. Nope. A brick of gold. Nope. None of this is even slowing this man down. He's superhuman. He's ridiculously immune to pain or something, which, okay. Um, the only thing that stops him is he goes to reach for his hat, which is conveniently wedged within steel bars until yeah. he's able to and be then electrocuted. Like convenient, a electrical a cord, wire. a downed wire that had been it's conveniently severed earlier. Terrible. By the way, apparently the actor playing Odd Job actually burnt the shit out of his hand in that scene. Not worth it. And yet held on to his hat to finish filming the scene like a champ. Not worth it. <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> You're not making Schindler's List, dude. Just <laughs> come on. So yeah, that was terrible. All right. What the fuck have we not talked about? Let's see. I mean, I think we covered most of the highlights here. That fucking last scene. <laughs> okay, here we go. Where we think Bond, like they've, you know, foiled the nuclear bomb. Oh, threat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bond gets on the plane thinking he Coming going back to, have... to the theme of the Americans are useless and so stupid. useless. How the shit... Did Goldfinger get on the plane? And why does Bond have so much trouble with him? It's ridiculous. Does this guy look like a no. fighter? He does not. Like, we could beat Oddjob, the pain impervious, <laughs> super strong man with the slicey hat, but fat fucking Trump's left buttock puts you up a really good political. fight. <laughs> Yes, he puts up a surprising fight until he's magically sucked out the window of a plane. Decompression. That's what happens when you punch your... Except that's not... Nope. Nope. That's not how that works. No. No, it is. The effects of that scene were ridiculous and embarrassing, and they should have saw that and said, you know what, let's figure out a different way to kill him. Because that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Nope. I would have rather they painted him gold. Like, <laughs> knock him out and then paint him gold. That would have been a nice little, you know, full circle moment there. And then, what, the plane crashes? Magically bursts into flames immediately <laughs> upon hitting the water. That happens all throughout the movie. There's, like, the car that goes off the cliff 
it hasn't even hit anything no, yet. It like it just barely went over the cliff yeah. and it suddenly burst into flames. Yeah. Because that's what happens. Sure. But he and Pussy uh, eject from the plane, yeah. land on some random ass island somewhere, I guess. <laughs> she wants to flag for help and he's like, no, no. This is no time to be rescued, he says. It's the time for consensual heterosexual sex. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this movie. <laughs> Let's do it under a parachute where you can't fucking breathe. Not, not, no, I'm not a fan of this. Wasn't a fan. I will stick with my Daniel Craig, thank you. So what was your favorite part? Uh, the Shirley Bassey song. <laughs> the credits. I think it's Bassey. I think it's oh, Shirley Bassey. Bassey. Is it Bassey? Yeah. Probably. But yeah, that's my favorite part. The, the opening <laughs> credits. And that was it. And that was it. <laughs> And you are eager to see more of these movies. No, I will, this will be the end of my... No, we're going to have to at least do one more. No, we don't have to do shit. You I don't know, have to do shit. I think we'll we'll wait a little while and then we'll no, do a Roger Moore movie. I am not interested. I'm thinking we will do Live and Let Die. Is that the one with the voodoo bullshit? That's the one I'm that not watching that. It takes place in New Orleans. I'm not watching that. With a voodoo background. And part of it also takes place in Harlem. So I think that'll be a good one. Because that's the two places the black people are, right? Watch Mm -hmm. together. I'm not doing that. (laughs) I will not be watching that. This is this is it for me. So I'm guessing your verdict on Sean Connery has not changed. I do not understand the love for Sean Connery as Bond. I think at most I will say he's good at again delivering a little quip with a raised eyebrow. But that I do not find him sexually attractive, especially enough to, quote unquote, turn a lesbian. I do not think that he's good at his job. I do not believe him in his fight scenes. So I'm I'm not a fan. So I was thinking about that watching this movie. And I would actually be curious. And I don't know that anyone has ever collected this data. Mm-hmm. I would actually be curious to see what the female demographic for this, these movies are. I bet it's not high. I don't think it is about appealing to women. I think it's about appealing no, it's definitely, to men. Yeah, it's definitely a male fantasy of like who you, right? You know, dreamed that you could be if you were cool and suave and had gadgets, right? And were good at everything right. except being a secret agent. Which, <laughs> but otherwise, he's like the guy that's always wearing the right outfit. Mm-hmm. He always has the the right line to say. He knows how to play golf. He like he's good at everything. I think that's what the fantasy is. That mm-hmm. that's the like. The guy who's just confident and competent right. in every situation. Right. And, of course, that every single woman drops just her panties for instantly. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that sex appeal to women, how big a factor that is in these movies. Well, what, isn't, wasn't he considered like a sex... Uh... I mean, he was. This was the breakthrough movie. This movie made like three times what the first two movies mm-hmm. had made. And then between this and Thunderball, the next movie, Sean Connery was the number one right. movie star in the world. Right. Briefly, at least. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do think there are probably a large population of women that found him, if not, if they do not still find him attractive because of that role, possibly. Sure. No, I think they still do. He's retired now, but I think, yeah, Sean Connery's definitely a sex symbol. Nope. But okay. <laughs> don't get it. Really don't get it. So you're going to stick with your Daniel Craig. He would have the opposite effect on I me. Mean, I would become a lesbian if that was if that was a thing that you could do. If you could just decide to be one or the other, I would become a lesbian in the face of Sean Connery. Okay. Okay. So let's let's talk about an important question. Okay. There has been a lot of discussion. Daniel Craig, who is not a fan of James Bond, as he is <laughs> He's a fan of those checks. in interviews. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, he has said, like, over the last three movies, he's not going to make another one. He keeps making them. The next one is his last one, and then they're going to have to recast. Okay. And there has been a lot of people pushing for a James Bond of color. Mm-hmm. Or even a female James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Idris Elba is the name that's most often it's mentioned. It's always Idris. Idris is always in accordance the name with when this. want something different. Jillian yeah. um, Anderson tweeted a picture of herself as X Files. Uh huh. Oh, okay. As Bond. Uh, so this is a discussion that is happening. It's mm-hmm. like the Doctor Who discussion. They're right. they're not going to be able to put it off forever. I don't know how I feel about it for the reasons that we have talked about. In that I'm not sure it works unless he's a white male, misogynist, <laughs> sexist, agent of the right. patriarchy, agent of imperialism. Right. So let me read you a couple of quotes on this view of Bond. Okay. So let us start with Eldridge Cleaver. Oh, dear. In Soul on Ice, he talks about James Bond. <laughs> he says, the paper tiger hero, James Bond, offering the whites a triumphant image of themselves, is saying what many whites want desperately to hear reaffirmed. I am still the white man, lord of the land, licensed to kill, and the world is still an empire at my feet. Yeah, that's Eldridge. Mm. <laughs> okay, so there is a, a liberal British magazine called The New Statesman, mm-hmm. which I, I was looking for negative articles on James Bond, and like most of them came from The New Statesman. Apparently they are not fans. Okay. Uh, so this was a review by Paul Johnson entitled Sex, Snobbery, and Sadism. And he talked about the three basic ingredients, all unhealthy, all thoroughly English. The sadism of a schoolboy bully, the mechanical, two-dimensional sex longings of a frustrated adolescent, and the crude, snob cravings of a suburban adult. I like alliteration. That's always nice. (laughs) And then I liked this article. This is by Lori Penny, also in the New Statesman. This is more recent. She talked about going back and watching all the old Bond movies. The experience was like having your four brains slowly and laboriously beaten to death by a wilting erection wrapped in a copy of the Patriot oh Act. Oh, God. <laughs> Savage and silly and just a little bit pathetic. A wilting erection wrapped in the Patriot Act. That's a, that is evocative right there. <laughs> the problem with the way we watch Bond is not that Bond is a killer. The problem with Bond is that he's supposed to be the good guy. Mm. He is a borderline rapist who is employed by the government to murder people, and yet he is not an anti-hero. He is just the hero. Bond is a hero for no other reason than that he is on our side, which is how most Western nations, and particularly yeah. the British, come to terms with their particular legacy of horror. That's pretty spot on. I mean, I think that just gets back to what we were talking about, about, you know, what is it that that character embodies? And that is, there's a sort of the glamour and the wit of it and the sex appeal of it, but it is in service to racist, imperialist agenda. Um, the sort of, the sort of talk of Idris replacing Daniel Craig was happening during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there was this whole idea of like, we're in this post-racial space. And so James Bond would be this, he's, he can be this sort of colorblind character and you can have a black actor uh, embody this role. And I have no doubt that Idris Elba would be amazing in this role. Oh, absolutely. He's a brilliant actor. Um, but you're right. Like there, there's sort of the politics undergirding this character, the colonialism, the imperialism. Um, and so how would you engage with that when it's a black uh, actor? That character is like walking white supremacy, right? So it's just right. Like, I so that it becomes an interesting thing. But when you think about the Obama administration, 
that is a black body enforcing American policy across Mm -hmm. the globe. And that policy is and has been imperialist. And that policy is and has been colonialist. So it's not impossible. That's that's an interesting point. To have a black person acting in that sort of role. So to have Idris still be the agent of white imperialism. Right. So, I mean, it's not impossible because that's what the American presidency is. And we had a black man in the American (laughs) presidency. You know, would I necessarily want to see that? I don't I mean, Idris can do other things. I don't know that he needs to be Bond. Uh, I'm not sure he even wants to be. Right, I that's think a, he's... Yeah, I think we also just start to recruit people and they may not even be interested in right. um, doing those sorts of things. I would be interested in a woman playing Bond just because I like to see women kicking ass. Mm-hmm. I just find it more interesting. But that could be an interesting movie. It's like, what does it mean to have a black British person out fighting in the name of an imperialist colonialist crown? Right. I don't know. I'm not dying for it, though. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I guess we're we're down to our final question that we have to ask every week. Mm -hmm. Where does this uh, fit in the canon, and what is its rewatchability quotient? I will never rewatch it. I would not recommend anybody else watch it. I will not look to watch any other Bond films. Um, Yeah, this is garbage. Pretty, I mean, the whole pussy galore, it, that little plot point in and of itself is enough to warrant trash status. You just reminded me of another line from a review. In their review in 1964 of this movie, The Guardian called it the most exciting, the most extravagant of the Bond films, Garbage from the Gods. Do we want Garbage from the Gods? <laughs> sure. I don't think we do. Or, I mean, you know. We want, you know. It's trash, but it's good trash. But it wasn't. It's enjoyable that's the thing is that it trash. wasn't fun. I didn't actually find it. You didn't to be find a fun, any of it fun. No. Not even silly fun. I mean, it was corny. So okay. sure, maybe. But like, I didn't. Again, I'm I'm a fan of good fight scenes. I didn't think the fight scenes were very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not someone that I would root for. He's not very bright. He's not very good at his <laughs> job. And people seem to think that he has like magic between his legs and I did not get that at all. So I just couldn't get on board with it. I couldn't buy into him. I couldn't buy into the fights. It wasn't silly enough to be silly fun. So no. The women characters were not ridiculous given... and non existent yeah. basically. Uh the director of this movie, Guy Hamilton, was once quoted as saying that the first rule of Bond films is that you cannot have a leading lady who can act because they can't afford them. Because they were paying for other shit? Yeah. Like what? The map in the floor? <laughs> How about you save budget on that and hire some female actors that can act? Pussy Galore was actually, I thought she made a good foil for him. And again, I, I liked, did too. I thought I she liked was her good. until that I just found scene. her funny that he insulted every actress yeah. who's ever worked well, in one of these Bond movies. But again, it's like, are we saying that the dudes were better? Sean Connery's, I just don't. Is he a good you, actor? You just don't get the Sean Connery no, thing at all. I really huh? don't. Like, he just gets by with, like, a smirk, and it's, okay. Like, okay. Well, we, we may need to add some Sean Connery no, movies onto the really list. No, we really don't. I don't we know really what. really don't. He won an Oscar for uh, The Untouchables with Kevin Costner. Nope. <laughs> don't need to see that. Uh, Hunt for Red October submarine movie, Don't maybe? need to see that. Is, that. is Denzel in that? Uh, no, he's in a different submarine movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is Alec Baldwin. <laughs> different submarine movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know. I don't need to see any Sean Connery. Okay. I don't. Yeah, I, I really do not get the Sean Connery thing. I'm sorry. All right. Well, we'll we'll wait a little while and then we'll try you on Roger Moore. No, I'm not. I'm the James Bond. seriously not watching any 
more. I'm probably not even going to see any more of the Daniel Craig ones. So I'm definitely not seeing. You're going to see the last Daniel Craig movie? Yeah, nah. Yeah. Mm, probably not. I guess you didn't see the last one, so maybe not. Right. I guess there's no point in asking you which one would win in a fight. Daniel Craig! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. He'd beat him with that dead bird. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else to say? No. Any final thoughts? Any happy thoughts on which to exit? No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we celebrate March Madness with two great, albeit very different, basketball movies. 1986's Hoosiers, which Nakia has never seen, and 1994's Above the Rim, which I have never seen. And I have not seen in a while, so I'm not going to stand by great. <laughs> but I do think... <laughs> then why are we doing it? Because I'm That's what you always say. I'm pretty sure it is good. I just haven't seen it in a real long time. <laughs> Well, we we looked at lists of the greatest basketball movies of all time, and both of these films rank pretty high on that list. It has Tupac in it. I mean, we can't go wrong. (laughs) In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a movie you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. Or painting them gold. Now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. (laughs) I don't know why we do this. I don't, I don't either. (laughs) I think it's more for you. I think I'm opening your eyes to the total garbage that you idolized as a child and young adult. I'm, this is me making you better, really. So, so we pretend this is about right. me introducing you to exactly. movies, and really it's this about... This is me sort of opening you your eyes. ruining my childhood. Not ruining. Just, you know, you've been in the room with, like, the shades drawn and, you know, running the videotape. I'm just sort of lifting up the curtains and saying, hey, let some sunshine in here. Thank you. This is garbage. God bless you for that. You're very welcome. I mean, a, a, a black woman's job is never done. Like, we are constantly <laughs> fucking helping you guys out. So... Yeah, this is this is about you and your growth. <laughs>